Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. My name is Gabe Estel, and I am here with my wonderful co-host, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How you doing, fellas? Doing good. Good Hola. to see you, as always. Glad to be back. Um, obviously, uh, a lot's happened with uh, since our last show. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Royals last time. Obviously, Jonathan, I'm sorry it had to end that way, but uh, still a hell of a season. And uh, I don't know. I still think the future looks pretty bright for these guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you would have told me the, during the last episode we recorded that the Royals would be 90 feet from tying up the World Series right. uh, in the ninth inning of Game Seven, I would say, okay, I'll take that. And yeah. uh, it was a pretty remarkable run. And uh, you know, the, a lot of these players seem to um, have blossomed at the right time. Yeah. Um, uh, between Hosmer and Mustakis, granted, these guys uh, struggled off and on throughout the season. Uh, so it'll be interesting if it carries over into next year. But some people did notice some distinct differences with with Mustakis's swing, and and uh, yeah, yeah, you hope that these guys can turn out to be the guys that they teased being in the playoffs and the guys that they had hoped they would be when they drafted them. Um, so yeah, I mean they're 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 set up to be successful. It's always hard to make it back to the World Series. It's yeah. It's, Definitely. It's never and, and, a given. And they've got a, they'll have a target on their backs next year too. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, nobody yeah. will take them lightly. Um, yeah. And uh, but what they were able to do to to sweep through Anaheim and Baltimore and kind of talking some smack while they did it. Yeah. Or Draw Dyson's like, ah, I don't, th- I, you know, we know and they know that we're not coming back to Baltimore, and right. he caught a lot of flack for it. But yeah, they, I mean, they swept them. In, in my opinion, they they beat two better teams than the team that they lost to, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. definitely. Well, yeah, With but Anaheim they, they, they and, lost to the... Um, what, uh, the, the Baltimore, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those teams had a lot of firepower, um, and in the end, they didn't lose to the Giants. They lost to Madison Bumgarner, son totally. of a bitch. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different <laughs> world... Take, take that guy out of the equation, it's a different world series. They might have swept the World Series if you take them yeah, out of the equation. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but you know that's how it goes, and and uh, to to witness what what Madison Bumgarner did, even though it it was against the team that you root for, uh, it was pretty remarkable, uh, historic. Oh, yeah. um, so there was no shame in in losing to him. Yeah, it was kind of a. I mean, granted, he was a good pitcher prior to the start of this season and the start of the World Series, but it was. It was kind of one of those like a star is born moments, you know what I mean? Like yeah. him, yeah he, yeah. he became elite, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, yeah. just within the last last two weeks, really. And it makes you wonder because you, you know the, the Giants lost Kane, Matt Kane, early in the year. Yeah, um, I assume he was still their number one starter. Matt Kane was when he went I think down going into the season. Yeah, I'm sure. And so it almost. I remember thinking when the Giants made it that, oh, great, we don't have to face Matt Cain. Um, that's nice. Right. Uh, and in hindsight, the Royals might have had a better chance because Matt Cain may have pitched more than Madison Bumgarner, and they probably would have right. had a better chance against Matt Cain. Uh, so go figure. Yeah. Well, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, they look good um, for next year. I'm kind of curious to see how much money they're going to spend in the offseason. I don't know if, like, making... <laughs> The playoff, or I'm not making that more. Making the World Series, playing in the World Series. Yeah. I don't know if the ownership's like 
here's $20 million. You know what I mean? We're going to tack on some more money to the payroll. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you would yeah. think. I mean, you walk down the street here, and you can almost see $20 million worth of, of payroll that people are wearing. Right. Um, <laughs> right. It's, uh, there was, uh, they probably generated some serious revenue. I could not guess in any way what mm-hmm. they generated, but between the playoff games and 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 all the swag, um, I mean, there there weren't people without blue shirts for a couple yeah. weeks walking down the street. It was pretty phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the idea is that, yeah, they would spend a little bit more money. Um, but you know what, what that means, uh, you know, they, they aren't going to go out and, and bring in a Max Scherzer or anything like that. Not that they really need to, uh, right. from a pitching perspective. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be they'll be prudent like they usually are. Maybe spend just a little bit more. Right. Yeah, yeah I, could, yeah. I could see them kind of towing the line maybe on, on the salary thing a little, just because it, it, they didn't have to spend a ton this year no. and they were and they were good, you know. So right, I could see them maybe playing it out to get to like the the All Star break or the trade deadline, trying yeah. to like figure out what they want to do if they yeah. had to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see, and you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit. I. Um, a little bit a little bit later but um yeah i don't see them as being like just totally busting out the checkbook and writing a check for max scherzer you know or or john lester or somebody like that i mean they aren't even really willing to do it for billy butler so right right. uh no i mean it's uh uh, they're still of the same mindset it's still the same owners and until you you know you bring in a jerry jones uh you aren't gonna have that freewheeling spending right right Mm -hmm. Well, hey, man. Um, so I'm gonna, we're going to talk. It's a good segue. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about of a recap for each team. Jonathan kind of already provided a little bit of one for the Royals. Um, but Levi and I are going to talk about the Chicago teams, how we we think the season went, uh, as well as what we're looking forward to in the offseason in order to be better for next year. So, Levi, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you start here, man. Um, what do you make of the Cubs in 2014, and what are you looking forward to in 2015? The Cubs um, ended their season at 73 and 89. Mm-hmm. Both which... I- identical records for the Chicago teams this year. Yes. Yep. And, uh, well done, guys. Division, well done. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Our thank division, you. that we, was good We are enough. jointly mediocre. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the uh, National League Central, that was good enough for 17 games back behind yeah. the Cardinals. Right. And so uh, we were one game above 500 at home. We were 41 and 40. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would say the best three things to come out of the season were – Starlin Castro coming back, Anthony Rizzo having a good comeback here, and then Chris Bryant in the minor leagues just tearing it up to where he's basically at the top one or two guys now in – in minor league baseball prospects. Yeah, I think, I think you're right there. I think he's top. at the top of the list. I think he is. I, I think I saw a list a couple yeah. of weeks ago that said and he's so, baseball's top prospect yeah. now. Wow. He, yeah. he really tore it up. So a lot of people are hoping that he will be on the, the full team next year. Um, other than that, there were not a lot of bright spots. Uh, I mean, well, some got, of the pitching was uh, okay. Baez and uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Soler. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, Baez and Soler came. I, neither one, I think, had ample enough games to show how good they will possibly yeah. be, maybe. Um, they each had, you know, interesting games where they hit some homers and stuff like that. Um, Soler, I don't. I think he might take a little bit 
longer to, to maybe adjust than what Baez might, because Baez has been in the minors a little longer, and Baez kind of had ups and downs in the minors, so he knows that, like, you're not going to hit him out of the park every day. Where Soler, I think, is is going to have to get used to that fact that you you don't bat 900, you know? Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. And you might right so, out of the gate. It's, it's amazing how many yeah. of these young guys, you know, they come yeah. up and, and they just – and they tear the cover off the ball, and then uh, pitchers review their swing on tape, and they're like, oh, there's the hole, yep. and then, you know, the guy goes, yep. like, two for 33. Yeah, yep. and, like, isn't yeah. playing in the big leagues the following year. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, once again, the Cubs had a couple of decent pitchers that kind of flew under the radar, and uh, Hamill and, um, oh. Arietta. Travis Yeah, Arietta. Arietta, I think, was probably the brightest spot in our he's, pitching. He's history. probably, unless you acquire somebody this offseason, he's, he's, I think, you're number one going into the yeah. to next year. Well, and you guys, you, both, you mentioned two guys that in the Cubs rumor mill right now that they're going after, and that is Max Scherzer and John Lester. They, both those names have been tied to the Cubs in talks over the last couple of weeks. So it would be interesting to see if, if, the Cubs could land one of those guys because they would automatically become the best pitcher on the team, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. 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 My only reservation on Lester is I don't. I didn't like – I didn't like how they ended their season kind of. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so Sorry about that. I don't know if you throw a ton of money at the guy coming off of that kind of a performance, but uh, they, they will. Uh, they yeah, will. It wasn't his fault. He, he deserves that fault. because of the whole year. But Yeah. Um, the, the, the A's didn't score any – his yeah. first several starts, he he was pitching lights out, and the A's just yeah, didn't score didn't, any runs for him. They didn't have much offense. Yeah. 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 That's that's. I mean, if they sign one of those, I mean, those guys are those are the two biggest free agents this off season. Really, I mean, um, maybe Hanley Ramirez too on the yeah. on the on the uh, the other side. But yeah, if they were to get Scherzer, that would be huge. Um, and they've been in your yeah. They've been talking about it on the radio all week. You know, going after one of those pitchers. To me, with the Cubs, it's like I don't think you quite know what you've got yet. Exactly. So it seems like the big free agent signing would come next off season. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you don't know what your missing pieces necessarily are. Well, I mean, you know what you need, but you don't know how good what you have really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, well, okay, you signed Scherzer and just huge money. I mean, it's going to be, oh, yeah. it's going to be, he's going to make yeah, either one of them. Yeah. I mean, they're both going to make $20 million a year, either one of them, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, any other going to, Plus, you know, they're going to be looking for six, seven-year deals, you know. I mean, those guys are both going to get paid. Um, and to me, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I view the Cubs kind of like flirting with 500 next year. Right, yeah. I don't know if that's like the move you make, you know right. what I mean? Like, I think you finish next season at 500 or maybe a game or two over it, that's when you say, okay, we're, you know, there's just we just need a couple pieces right. and we're, we're going for it next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. This I season, I don't know. And I don't know who's a I, – I haven't looked at the free agent list for next year, but I assume there's got to be at least one, you know, top-of-the-line yeah. pitcher out there. I'm sure. So so if I were them, I would wait, you know, to yeah. sign somebody like that. I, I agree. Year. I do feel like it seems like they're pushing the gun a little bit. Yeah. And uh, they definitely don't have the mindset that they're going to be a 500 team next year. I think yeah. they're – 
they're definitely gunning that they're going to be in in the hunt for the division, if not the division champions, huh. which is lofty goals. With you know, I yeah. mean, I mean they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to win about eighteen more games to make that yeah. happen. You know, yeah. I mean, exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the names over the last couple of days that also been tied to them is Russell Martin. Oh, and, putting uh, him a catcher, huh? Yeah. Right. So, and I mean, I don't know if I liked him. I've always liked him. I think he would win kind of a veteran presence. Mm-hmm. I think Wellington Castillo, though, was was a good enough catcher for us this year. Yeah. I mean, I think defensively he was solid. He he might not have um, maybe some of the offense that Russell Martin has. No. Obviously, but. Russell Martin's, I haven't looked at me. I assume he's, he's at least 31 or so, I would guess, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, he is uh, uh, 32. Okay, yeah, 32. so. You know, like he's he's still a big name, so he's gonna want like a four year deal at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't know. Do you want Russell Martin when he's thirty six? You know, I don't know if you do. Right. You know, and you're paying exactly. him fifteen million dollars yeah. a year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. The off season will be interesting to see all the moves that the Cubs make. What do you think their biggest need is? Like, what what position would you go after right away if you if you had to get somebody? It doesn't have to be like Lester or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like obviously, pitching is like a good starting pitcher, isn't he? But if I could, I would say like a really good star power hitting outfielder, which is hopefully what like Solaire will become. But um, I think I think it would be nice to have a power hitting outfielder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, if I were the Cubs, I would, if they wanted a starting pitcher just to kind of bolster the rotation, I would go after kind of one of those middle tier guys, like maybe like, um, like a Brandon McCarthy, you know, or yeah. like a, yeah. uh, maybe even the guy that you're, I don't think you'll re-sign him, but Jason Hamble, somebody like they, in that. Yeah, way, they talk, you know? they talked, they've already yeah. talked about yeah. him coming back. Somebody like that. You have James Shields. Yeah, I I think I think Shields will be too expensive. Yeah, he will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Cubs do have a good track record though for kind of pulling pitchers out of out of the scrap heap, kind of middle tier guys, and making them you know almost upper level guys. You know, mm-hmm. everybody I mean, thought Harry Edwards. You mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was a big name when he was a prospect for Baltimore, yeah. and he petered out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Liriano. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Francisco Liriano's yeah. available. That yeah. might, yeah, that like that's what the guy I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like a veteran, just to kind of bolster the rotation, and then go after the big gun next year. You know, yeah. that's what I. Do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Any other? Any offensive? You said outfielder. Okay, so an outfielder, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't know if there's any other position that we're totally lacking at. I mean, you got a good infield. Yeah, I was going to say, all the infield's pretty solid defensively, and I mean, they're hopefully going to come around offensively, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would, trying to think, uh, for outfielders, um, I don't know, maybe, the guy I want, and but he would probably be a fit for either Skyward team, maybe Nick Markakis, you know, that's yeah. a possibility, yeah. so. Anyway, um, so Jonathan... You already talked a little bit about the um, the Royals, sort of the the last month or so. Yeah. Um, is there any? What do you? What it's, when a team is is plays that well, it's kind of maybe sometimes a little harder to assess their needs. 
but what do the Royals need? Well, it's uh, something that was discussed frequently throughout the playoffs. Uh, they're you know most pretty much their most popular pitcher and the most popular offensive player, and James Shields and Billy Butler respectively. Uh, or we're going to be free agents and probably uh, finish with the with the team, and uh, especially more heartbreaking for Billy Butler, I guess, for the kids. It's always the kids' favorite player. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but you know he's he's been with the franchise for about ten years, and they just you know it might be a good time for him to see a change of venue as his numbers have dwindled a little bit. Um, but they they both shine a light a bit on some possible needs. Shields. Was interesting because Shields, you know, was the guy that they they traded for. They they traded uh, Will Myers, top prospect, that brought Shields and just as importantly Wade Davis over to Kansas City. And I felt like the Royals got to to a point where uh, you, you have a kid riding a bike with training wheels on it, and the kid is totally afraid to take the training wheels off. And uh, um, but you know, one day you you just tell the kid that you know, the training wheels aren't even, you know, functioning. The, the kids just riding the bike on their own. And that was pretty much how the Royals uh, were playing the last couple months of the season when James Shields, uh, yeah, he was pitching, but he wasn't pitching well. And so the Royals realized that they could do this, not necessarily without him, um, but that, that their two and three pitchers uh, and four pitchers could could pick up the slack and perform on their own. Um, so as a result, they can let Shields go um, and and not worry that much about it. You have Jordano Ventura and Danny Duffy um, and Vargas coming, Jason Vargas coming back, and and uh, that's that helps. And you have young young pitchers down in the minors, um, so you hope that they can p- compete for the rotation. Yeah, it probably wouldn't hurt to you know consider a veteran guy to bring in on, on the back end of things. Otherwise, you're planning on. Jordano and uh, and Duffy to to lead that rotation, and I'd feel totally comfortable with those two as my one and two. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's a yeah. little bit scary because they aren't terribly experienced, but um, yeah. you know, hey, they're young pitchers. This is what you want. You want these young uh, guys who can you know you got a flamethrower and a guy who can pitch and and Duffy's been through a lot, but it seems like he's ready now and um, recuperating. Is Jeremy Guthrie still under contract? Guth- Guthrie will be back. Yeah, J- J- we call him Jay Guts. Uh, okay, around here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, uh, Jeremy Guthrie. Quick, uh, uh, quick story. He uh, uh, one of his claims to the fame here in Kansas City before the World Series was that um, uh, one day it was his throw day and he didn't have anybody to throw to, so he posted on Craigslist he wanted somebody to throw to, and some guy responded. <laughs> and uh, and got to go play catch with Jeremy Guthrie on his throw day, uh, just nice. in some random park. Um, That's awesome. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so and and then on the um, uh, on the offensive side of it, you know, there's there is actually now discussion that they you know they could conceivably bring back Billy Butler, um, but I don't know if it's just kind of romantic feelings. I don't want him to. Uh, I don't want him to have a lot of emotion in it, and that's why it's always good that these deals take place in December because you, it helps separate emotion from everything. And everybody yeah, on the series right now, still so. exactly, yeah. And it's like, oh, resign everybody, bring them all back. It's like, no, that, yeah. wouldn't, that yeah. wouldn't quite work. Um, so uh, there, there's been discussion um, with, uh, especially with Nori Aoki, um, probably leaving. Um, 
and uh, so that opens up a spot in right field, possibly for somebody like uh, to bring back Melky Cabrera. Um, oh, yeah, who yeah. was here and he got and he got uh, jacked for uh, for the PEDs when he was here. Um, yeah. he, he but he played well for the Royals. Obviously, why he can hit. He can, yeah, and he's yeah, he's right. Yeah. If he doesn't get, he if he doesn't get pinched, yeah, he can hit. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, there's there's thoughts about somebody like that. Um, you know, they, they aren't gonna they aren't gonna get a guy like Victor Martinez um, or Nelson Cruz. It's just not an option, um, and probably not even Nick Marqueca. So that would be a huge splash for them if they were. Uh, I got a feeling Baltimore's not gonna let him go anywhere though. Um, Otherwise, Michael Kadire, I mean, geez, he's 36. Um, yeah, he won the batting title, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Um, two-year deal. You know, yeah. two-year high salary. Yeah. That's what I'd go for yeah. Kadire. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't need to bring back Raul Ibanez. No. Um, you know, yeah, maybe you bring in an Adam Dunn just to pinch it every now and again. Oh, did he retire? I think so. Oh, I didn't realize. I think you're, yeah. Happy yeah, I think, I think you're correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for a DH, he would be, I mean, he could do one more year as a DH, and get you yeah. your, you know, he'd get, he'd get 25 homers, you know, like strike out a ton. Yeah, yeah, tw- yeah, 25 homers and 180 strikeouts. Yeah, uh, right. Not 200, you know. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, from for the most part, I think the Royals uh, stand pat. Uh, at the same time, they hope that some of their younger players develop a little bit more. Christian Cologne was a guy um, who they've been waiting to bring up uh, uh, for a few years now, and he's and he finally got his chance, and he performed a bit, but he he was also a bit injured uh, down the home stretch there. So um, guys like that, yeah, I, I mean, I think for the most part, it's going to be standing pat, right? And and also, you know. We're, we're, so far, you know, we've talked about free agents predominantly. We we also, and this is harder to predict because um, you just don't know. You know, any of our teams could engineer a trade too. Mm-hmm. You know that that mm-hmm. you know with the Cubs, I think that if they're good in a in a year, like I I think they're going to be. You know, I think they're going to be close to five hundred at the end of next year. That's when they might have to start saying, you know what, we we might need to trade a couple of these young guys. Levi, you know, in yeah. order to in order to get in order to get something more immediate, you know, I'm not talking like trade Chris Bryant, but you got a ton of other stuff in the pipeline, and you might have to package a couple of those guys to get your starting pitcher, you know, that you need. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of rumors saying Castro could be one of those guys. Actually, yeah. if yeah. if you're gonna deal a dude because you've got all those other young shortstops yeah. in the system, I, I'd, li- I'd let's put it this way. Maybe not this offseason. I'd listen to offers on the guy. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Why not? yeah. Mean, yeah. especially especially when his value is still high. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like if he if he fizzles out, let him do that somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. like right. Yeah, and in the meantime, you can you can you know for Castro, you could you could get a good starting pitcher. You know, you or or a couple a couple really good prospects if you wanted to stay young. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I forget if Theo was the guy who who dealt uh Hanley Ramirez. Um Yeah, he probably was. Uh when the Red Sox dealt Hanley Ramirez to uh the, the Marlins, Miami, to the Marlins, yeah, yeah. yeah, then the Florida Marlins. Um 
for uh, God was he in? He was in the Beckett yeah deal with Beckett. um who okay. was the third Mike Lull. Uh, Mike right. Lowell was also in that deal. Um, which, uh, Josh Beckett retired. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those. A lot of those pitchers that <clears throat> we've kind of watched over the last probably twelve years or so are starting to hang it up. You know, mm-hmm. like your Dan Herons of the world. You know, yeah. kind of that. Yeah. 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 But so. I guess um, what I was getting at was that uh, Theo is is if he did actually engineer that then he he has a history of of pulling the trigger to to bring in those pieces um and dealing the young guys and for castro now might be the time you know because i i think he's good but i don't uh i i see his worth it probably its highest yeah yeah i i I would it's a move you make now or next season or or just you don't make it or you just yeah i I, he's not he's gonna be good but he's i don't think he's gonna be like He's not the next Cal Ripken or anything, you yeah, know. I mean, yeah. so yeah, you might want to. You might want to. They'll probably. I, I assume they'll listen to offers on him. This I season. could. Assume, I could see where he would be like mid-season trade bait. Yeah. Right. If if yeah, the Cubs are hovering around five hundred or below. Yeah, and if even if you know a, a team might overpay for him in that case, you know, you might get a contender that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They might be able to to uh, to swing something in their favor. Yeah. Without uh, without losing too much. Well, with the White Sox, um, you know, I, they kind of finished where I thought they would. Like, I, to me, like, this really wasn't a season of that many surprises other than Abreu's sort of rapid ascendancy. Like, I, you know, I, I think most people, you know, the scouting report was very high on him. But, I mean, nobody could have predicted that the guy would just, 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 just tear it up right I, You away. did. I think you I were pretty high I mean, on I, him. I knew yeah. he was going to be good. I knew he was going to be good, but... I didn't know that, you know, he would, you know, he would have the best slugging percentage in in, in the American League, you know, at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. He cooled off. His power numbers kind of cooled off a little bit towards um, the end of the year. Um, But still, I mean, just a a hell of a rookie season and um, really a lot to look forward to. So so he, he was a big surprise. He was the biggest surprise, even though. The, the the level that he reached, you know, I knew he was going to be good, but I, you know, I thought good meant like fifteen or twenty home runs, right. like two two seventy five. You yeah. know, you were hoping yeah. for this season to be like two seasons from now. Yeah, but right. it came, exactly. came two seasons early. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be curious to see how people handle him. You know, like does will they figure him out? Like you know, are people learning how to pitch to him? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think he's good. I, I don't think they're going to find a hole necessarily. Yeah, I, I would say if you have a whole, almost like a whole year to go off of, and they and they mm-hmm. can't figure you out, you're yeah, yeah, good for a while. Yeah, yeah. I hope so, man. Because uh, you know, I'm looking like you know, we got we got the next eight, nine, ten years here. You know, so yeah, bring yeah. it on. Um, another nice smaller surprise. Um, you didn't hear a lot about him because the White Sox weren't that good. Uh, but uh, we got a guy named Connor Gillespie who's turning into a pretty pretty good everyday player. Um, he was with the Giants, came up through their system. They were pretty high on him. He didn't pan out there. White Sox got him last year, and he was um, kind of sort of a stopgap at third base. And then and then you know he got the full time third base job this year, and uh, I think. I think he hit. I think he hit a little. I think he hit 300, or he hit like in the 290s this year. So, um, and his defense is okay. It's good enough. So, I, I thought he was he was a he was a nice, pleasant little surprise as well. And 
you know, he, he earned enough to come back. And I think he's still pretty young. He's only like 25 or 26. So, so I, I like him too, going into next year. Um, the bullpen was the worst part of the season. Um, we, we had the worst bullpen in the American league, almost the worst bullpen in baseball. We had the highest DRA in the American league and the worst, um, uh, the worst walk strikeout to walk ratio in the American league as well. We gave up the most walks Mm -hmm. like in, in baseball. So, uh, the bullpen was just terrible. There wasn't much we could do about it. It just, it's kind of a generic phrase, but it was kind of one of those, it is what it is thing with the bullpen. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to like make bold bullpen moves when you're a shitty team, you know, or a a mediocre team. Well, you know, you're talking, you're talking to a guy who had one of the best bullpens in the history of the game. Right. (laughs) I know what a difference it can make. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I was, I was thinking, I was, as I was taking some notes for this show, I wanted to get you guys' take on this. A bullpen is always like kind of a risky thing to spend a lot of money on. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because aside from your closer, there aren't like a lot of mainstays in your bullpen. Right. If you get like a year or two good years out of a dude, great. You know, but mm-hmm. like your bullpen is just it's not a long term thing for those no. guys. No, you know? and they, yeah, because they don't those players don't want to be in the bullpen that long. Right. They want yeah. to graduate yeah, them, to yeah, they, being I mean, closer if you're a pitcher, or being a you start your career yeah. wanting to be a starter, you right. know. You right. Know? And it, yeah, I mean that's in uh, the Royals came into this season with um, Luke Hochever as as right. their eighth inning guy, and and it turned out that Wade Davis was was willing to make that transition from being a starter into into a reliever, and he was able to pitch totally differently and be amazingly historically effective. Um, and and yeah, I mean it's and as soon as you lock up a closer long term. They start to flame out, and they, they yeah, get the oh, yeah. hits, totally. and uh, it's yeah, uh, and let, Carlos Marmol. Yeah, right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. yep. Oh, I yeah, mean, unless, the, the list could go on. Unless you've got like the next Mariano Rivera on your hands, you, you don't give a closer like a long term deal. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. No way. I, yeah. I, yeah. Because most of the time, it's it's like a freak of nature where it's like you suddenly realize, oh, this guy is suddenly the best pitcher in the bullpen. And nobody's no batters have really seen him before, and he yeah, right. just lights out for a season or two, and then he, you know, goes to shit, and they move on to somebody else. Bobby Jinx, Bobby you know, Jinx. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, Keith. Folk. Yeah, I mean, the list just—it's an in, it's an infinite list of people yeah. that you could yeah. you could put in that category. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So to go to what we need, um, I think they have to address the bullpen. Like I said, I don't. I don't think it's something you spend a ton of money on. But I don't. I also don't think it's something you ignore. Um. So, I assume they're going to bring in somebody. Um. I don't know kind of what the bullpen market is like out there right now. So, those aren't the guys that usually generate a lot of attention. Um. But I think that um, for me the the first area I would address is we need another corner outfielder. Um, I, I, I like Mark Akis. Um, I think he's at the point in his career where I don't know if he necessarily became the player that a lot of people thought he would be, you know, like, cause when Baltimore sucked, if you guys remember a few years ago, he was like the only thing they had. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now yeah. like Baltimore's so good and they have so many weapons that he's kind of like down the totem pole, you know, he's kind of an af- not an afterthought, but you know, he's not, he's, 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 they've got so many other guys that can hit better than him. Right. Yeah. Um, that I, I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to get a decent contract, but I think he's a guy that you can get, like 
you know, you can go like a three or four year deal, you know, like three years, like maybe 33 to 35 million, you know, which when we were talking about baseball salaries, it's like, oh, that's cheap. I mean, yeah. It's always, yeah. always kind of yeah. always kind of hard to swallow that <laughs> uh, when you say something like that. But to me, you know, he would he would be a good fit in the outfield. I think he's at the point in his career where um, where his value has gone down a little bit, uh, but he's still he's still gonna he's still got a, a a decent number of productive years ahead of him still. So he's won two he gold gloves. My, two gold gloves, yeah. Good. He's a good outfielder. He he hit leadoff this year, so he yeah. we don't really need him at leadoff. But you know, he could. I think he would he would fill in nicely in the two slot. Um, <clears throat> so. He would be my top choice for a free agent for us to sign. Um, and his name has been attached to the White Sox and rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they're considering it. Um, also, I think our other area is we need a DH. Um, you know, Dunn is gone. Abreu is going to play first base. Canerico retired. Um, I don't really know if we go after Victor Martinez. He's another guy that whose name's been attached. Victor Martinez is 36. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys heard this. He's 36 and he wants a four-year deal. Wow. Yeah, it's like you think he'd be going like year to year. (laughs) Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, the dude hit. The dude can still hit, Um, but I mean, like, yeah, for me, like Levi said, he's he's a like I give him like one-year deal, high salary. You know what I mean? Because like the numbers are still there, so he still deserves to get paid. You know, but like I would go like one year you know, 12 million, 13 million, mm-hmm. you know, like something mm-hmm. like that. And then fuck it. If he doesn't, if he doesn't pan out, if it doesn't happen and he's gone, you know, mm-hmm. but he doesn't think like that. He obviously yeah. wants multiple yeah. years. So I don't really know if I want to pay Victor Martinez that when he's 39 yeah. years old. So, no, no. Yeah. No. Um, so, so the DH is another one. And then I do think we need another starter, but like I mentioned um, to Levi with the Cubs um, kind of same situation. I don't think we're going to go crazy signing a starting pitcher. You know, we're not – the White Sox aren't going to get one of those top guns, you know, your Scherzer, your your Lester, your Shields, your Samarja. Um, they're just – they're not going to get one of those guys. If, if they get anybody, it'll be somebody who's near the back of the rotation. So – and I and I haven't – like, even Brand, – even I mentioned Brandon McCarthy earlier for the Cubs. He might even be a little bit – he might even be too good. I hate to say it. Like yeah, for, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking somebody more who's like in the fourth or fifth starter, you know, um, yeah. role. And I, I, I have to look at the list. I don't know entirely who's out there. There might be some projects out Justin there. Justin Masterson is out there. Masterson He's, could do it. He could be yeah, a sneaky Masterson dude in his in the back end of his career. You guys he seen? He's a big boy, man. Masterson is he? Yeah, he's pretty big. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he could. You know, he's one of those guys that's kind of poised for a bounce back. So. Mm-hmm. He's so always yeah, like kind of he's 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 always teased that he could be a front end guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's what they wanted him to be in Cleveland, and it didn't really happen. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I would uh, I would be interested in him. You know, if it was like a like I said, it was like a one or one year deal or two year deal, maybe just to see see how he he bounces back, mm-hmm. maybe rebuild his build up his value again. Um, so yeah, so those to me, you know, it's. Um, you know, we uh, we get a corner outfielder and we get a DH, and then whatever else happens happens. I don't know. Yeah. So, so yeah. But Marcakis, I would, I definitely hope that move happens. Um. Cool. Excellent. Well, you know, 
we're talking about, I want to start with this segue for our, our, our second half of the show here. Um, <clears throat> it's been some exciting news in Chicago, not necessarily on the south side, but on the north side. Um, there's a guy that's kind of wearing glasses like this um, who... Who, uh, I thought those were his signature models. Aren't they, they might be. Yeah, his are a little, yeah. are a little thinner than uh, a little bit, uh, not as wide of frames as mine. But anyway, um, the Ira Glass of baseball <laughs> managers now has landed <laughs> has landed in Chicago. Yeah. So, Levi, what do you think about this, man? Are you excited? Yeah, Joe Madden. I know. The Chicago Cubs. I, I, I love it personally, not yeah. just because he's a really good manager, but I've always liked characters for managers. Yeah. And, and I think that in the last few years, we haven't had as many characters in baseball managing-wise right. as, as we need. Um, and by no means was Rick Renteria a bad coach. I mean, he did he did a lot with a lot of those young players, you know? Right. He, it was nice that he was bilingual. He could speak Spanish to all of those Latin American players. Um, yeah, it goes a long way. In this it does. It does. Yeah. It, it um, it, it was just almost too big of a deal that the Cubs couldn't. You know what I mean? They had to do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, it was, they made a splash. Had to. Yeah. Yeah, they made a splash. Yeah. And Tampa seems like they're kind of after having some really good years there for a while. Oh, they're yeah. kind of on the decline now. Yeah, I would I think. say absolutely. So yeah. especially with um. Their GM left Freeman. Yeah. He went to the Dodgers. Yeah, and that yeah. was the, that was actually the clause that let us was get it? Joe Madden. Oh no, kidding! Okay. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah, Beans. He left and went to the Dodgers. There was a clause in Madden's contract that he could then be released from his. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so obviously those guys were tight. Um, yeah, and and Madden seems like a pretty forward-thinking guy. You know, like he's not. You know he's open to the sabermetrics thing. I think mm-hmm. you know he. Yeah, yeah. He's really, um, just like kind of a down to earth guy. Wants to, all the players to like him. Mm-hmm. Renaissance he's man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He um, there's all kinds of stories if you search the web about him yeah. and like exact animals into the clubhouse to try and like you know yeah. break the break the ice a little bit with players and. Um, He's known for, like, dressing up during road trips. Like, I guess there was, like, a Woodstock-themed road trip. <laughs> like, one of the one of the last road trips with the Rays, he was, like, you know, dressed as a hippie the whole time. Yeah. And stuff. He seems like the manager that would have a dugout in the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well done. Yeah, well done. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so. he, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. Hopefully he can uh, shape some of the young Cubs players the way he has the, the Rays. Yeah, it's exciting stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a good way to start your offseason, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah um, five-year deal, too. So, obviously, they're, I, I assume there's probably – I don't know if it was four years. I think it was, I think it was just a flat-out five years. So, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's, a, that's a big contract for a manager. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I so think this is it. I think the the, the team of of uh, Theo and, and Joe Madden. This is this is what brings the World Series uh, back to the I, I hope side. you're right. Yeah, I absolutely hope you're right. Um, I I just hope it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like if if we're still uh, talking in three or four years about how the Cubs haven't won a World Series or been in the playoffs, it'll be really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I like the move, though, man. It's, it's uh, you know, sorry for Renteria, but, um, you know. Some websites are calling it the biggest free agent move of the year. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it's, it, it could be like a transformative move, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, yeah. it, it really could, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a, it, it might it might be like bigger than any player you acquire yeah. this offseason, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think yeah. it would, yeah. Yeah, just Good as deal. important. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that, address it first. So that's exciting stuff. But we're also going to talk a little bit of now about managers, um, including some, some famous managers, um, as well as some managers in rock and roll so um jonathan we'll go to you and then we'll go back to levi and then uh then we can then i'll I'll, i can uh i can take that then um do you want to talk us about we'll do we'll do the baseball and the rock and roll i think in the same okay you know in the same uh in the same uh yeah the same round so so yeah let it rip man what uh what do you what do you who is your baseball manager of choice this is kind of you know, maybe a, a manager that sticks out to you or your favorite yeah, manager. Yeah. I mean, I think showing character means a lot um, for a manager. Uh, but at the same time, managers are weirdos, man. Yeah. They're, it's it's like even a guy like Joe Madden, who's, you know, Renaissance man, he knows this. As soon as, like, if I see him in a, if, if I see him in a restaurant and I don't know who he is, and as soon as he tells me he's a baseball manager, I'm immediately skeptical. As if he's like a Jehovah's Witness or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, like everything he says after that is colored in that fact. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, and so, uh, you know, the idea of, of, of managers, and they're, they're always so staunch and, and, and predictable in many ways, um, uh, really makes it important for when, when a guy shows character, whether it be like... Uh, 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 Jim Leland smoking heaters in the dugout, like sneaking <laughs> sneaking heaters, um, or uh, uh, Bobby Valentine, you know, with the incognito uh, mustache after he got great. kicked out of the game. Um, uh, though I, I was reading about um, uh, Cub, Cubs manager uh, Frank Chance in the early uh, 1900s, um, yeah. part of the uh, Cubs dynasty. Then um, he was a player manager, and he. Um, uh, the, the Cubs were doing poorly in, in one of the World Series after winning two. So it was 1909 World Series. Um, and it went back to Chicago. Um, he was being heckled on his way on his way to the ballpark. It wasn't Wrigley at that point. On his way to the ball, ballpark, he got out and attacked the dude that was heckling him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you do, can that do that nowadays. You can't do that stuff before no, you, you can't get away with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's some cool stuff there. Um, but uh, to get back to the Royals, though, the, the most famous manager in, in, the, in the Midwest right now uh, is definitely Ned Yost. The dude has his own hashtag, uh, hashtag Yosted, uh, for for when questionable decisions are made uh, uh, to the detriment of his own team. Um, but but Ned Yost is is uh, was first of all most famous for the fact that he was he was fired by the Brewers when they had a tie for the wild card uh, in in uh, uh, I forget what year it was. Um, he, he the Brewers were tied for the wild card, and he was fired, <laughs> which is like in the history of baseball. I think that's the only time that's ever happened. Oh, yeah. The manager was fired when he was it's tied. It's not for... like the Brewers like make the playoffs that often, you know. No, so no, yeah, no. but they had many ups and downs over those years, and right. and so. Um, but he he he's an interesting guy because he he's again he's really staunch in 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 his style. Pitchers have very specific innings. 
uh, with uh, with the Royals, it was uh, the the famous HDH, which is Herrera, Davis, and Holland, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and they would be the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Uh, but as a result, when a guy's in a jam in the sixth inning. Uh, instead, Ned Yost won't, won't go to Herrera yet because it's not he can't pitch in the sixth. You, you can't bring him in in the sixth. Uh, so he brings in you know like the tenth best bullpen pitcher uh, to uh, to blow the game for him. Um, at one point in the season, uh, uh, Ned was complaining about the small crowds in at, at the K which um, if he like thought about the history of the last 30 years, he would have understood probably a little bit more. And then he complained with that, that, that the team didn't perform well in front of the big crowds because eventually like the Tigers came to town and the Royals, you know, uh, uh, threw up on their shoes. And he said, that, oh, it's, you know, too big a crowd. And so it's like, okay, Ned, tell us how many people you want to be there. Like yeah, I want, I want uh, uh, twenty-two and a half thousand people there. He wants it crowded but comfortable. Right, right. <laughs> right. Need more people up in section four twelve. Um, but uh, and so that was that was pretty interesting. Of course, in the in the playoffs, he was uh, he was most known for his bunting uh, uh, calls for bunting, and uh, because he had he had several. Um, I think in one game. Uh, against the Angels of the Orioles, he had four bunts, and um, it was a wild card game. I think four bunts and seven steals, and so all of a sudden the Royals were the were the bunting and stealing team. And uh, even his card, he there was a card because he was on the '82 Brewers that went to the yeah. World Series and lost to the Cardinals. His '82 Brewers card is him bunting, and sure. there were giant versions of that card um, uh, blown up as signs at the K, like people were holding them up, and there was even a girl. Uh, on Halloween, who posted her her Halloween costume was it was the outline of the '82 Tops card with the bottom of Ned Yost, but she had the Brewers jersey on and she had a bat and she was bunting. So like wow. Ned Yost is like a phenomenon um, for for good and bad because at some point right. Yosted instead of meaning bad to the detriment of the Royals during the World Series meant he made poor decisions that for some reason still worked out for the yeah. Royals. Yeah, yeah. And so when a team got Yosted, it was because Ned Yost made a really questionable decision that like his black magic uh yeah. Yeah. uh gave him the fortune to uh to help the Royals win. A lot and, of people think he somehow had that book from Back to the Future where he could, like <laughs> the almanac like, the, the sports like, almanac. What the hell is Ned Yost doing? He's like, yeah. no, I'm telling you it's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, even his, because when they were in the World Series, they they went. Um, it's like okay, he's got World Series, he's got National League experience, so he he'll know how to do, uh, he'll know how to manage in a National League park, and um, but but he pulled a double switch in in San Francisco that just blew everybody's mind because it made no sense. Yeah. At one point, right. he let he let Kelvin Herrera bat. Gerard Dyson got on first, and um, uh, Gerard Dyson man- yeah, managed to get on, and as a result, Kelvin Herrera, um, who had closed out the previous inning because Ned was open to bringing him in before the yeah. seventh, uh, uh, would, would, he wanted him to carry over into the next inning, and Ned was quoted as a... So Kelvin Herrera batted, and it was awful, awful swinging. Uh, and he said, uh, 
I was hoping Dyson would make an out there, but he steps up and foils my plan and gets a hit. He was hoping his player would make an out. He admitted. Um, even after uh, even after they uh, they were down, or I'm sorry, that the Giants tied up the series two to two. Uh, he said, we got our tails whipped today, but it's game four of the World Series. How much more fun can that be? There's nothing better in the world. I've never felt so good about getting my tail whooped in my life because I'm sitting here thinking it's game four. It's tied two to two. <laughs> he's endearing. Yeah, he's he is. definitely an endearing guy. He is. Yeah. And, you know, he's uh, in, yeah, he was good friends with Dale Earnhardt. Um, uh, and that's why he wears number three. Uh, and so, you know, he, he goes hunting and things like that. And so he, he's pretty down to earth, I imagine. Um, but, uh, uh, he's coached more games than any other Royals manager in the history of the franchise. And, um, I don't know. He could take this team to two more world series or he could be fired in two years. I have no idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So Definitely. Ned Yost. Yeah. Right. Um, you want, um, Actually, let, let's mix it up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's stick with the baseball and then yeah. go to okay. The, the, okay. the music. Uh, I'm I'm pulling a Ned Yost move here. <laughs> oh, um, oh, so I was just Yosted. Yeah, right. So Levi, what about you, man? Who uh, who's uh, your who's your memorable man? This was really easy for me growing up as a Cub fan, and it's Don Zimmer. Because, Rest in peace, uh, man. In 1989, I would have been eight years old, and he was the coach of what was then hailed as the Boys of Zimmer. And what that was was um, basically a team that was picked to finish last ended up winning the division, which yeah. the Cubs were in the East at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. he ended up winning the Manager of the Year award that year as well. And um, it just brings back really good memories of me being a kid with all those 89 players because you had Sandberg and Dawson. It was Mark Grace's rookie year. Sean Dunstan. Sean Dunstan, Jerome Walton's Rookie of the Year campaign was that year. Dwight Smith. Um, he finished second. He was, the, I think, yeah, uh, second place yeah. Rookie of the Year. Yeah, so uh, it was a great time to be a Cubs fan. It, it did not last. He only coached the Cubs in 88, 89, and 90, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, a weird fact is, though, he was he was the last two, you know, most important, some of the most important Cubs playoff games. In 89, he was the, the manager. And in 84, when the Cubs almost made the World Series, were basically a game away from getting to the World Series, he was the third base coach for the Cubs that year mm-hmm. in 84. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Was he, was he somewhere in between then, third base and, and manager? You know, was he somewhere else? Um, yeah, I believe he, he bounced around. He was the coach for a lot of different teams, whether it was a manager or as a bench coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, there's numerous histories. He, he was all over the place. He, well, yeah. After the yeah, Cubs, he, he was with the Yankees for a while, and then, yeah, he to, he, then he was with Tampa for a while. Yeah, Red Sox. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, he, I mean, he definitely was kind of like the Gaylord Perry of managers. He bounced yeah. around a lot. Um, I just it, – it's hard to forget his his – his demeanor, he was, you know, totally basically bald, shaved head. Yeah. Always had a huge thing of either gum or chew in his mouth. Yeah, probably both. And uh, every, everybody called him Popeye. So it was yeah. like, yeah. you know, he, he was like almost a cartoon character <laughs> oh, to, yeah. to a young child. So. Yeah, oh, totally. Fun dude. He was one of those guys that, like, 
Kind of like Jim Leyland, like when they were 50, they looked like they were 80. You know <laughs> oh, what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they wore it well. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Sparky Anderson, like you see like baseball cards of Sparky Anderson. You're like, you, you know, he's, he's 38 years old. There. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. what? No, what? No. Like silver hair and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. leathery face. Yeah. You know? It's like Lance Henriksen or something. Anyway. Um, well, Levi, so, it's, yeah. it, it's funny you mentioned that 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 89 team because before this year's Royals team that 89 Cubs team was probably the team I watched the most games of in one season um and uh before this year um because every every day that summer I would turn on the Cubs on WGN after I'm after I'm done watching uh Ferris Bueller's day off and uh uh watch Cubs game and oh man that that was an awesome summer oh yeah man they were they were really good they it was just one of many times they had my hopes up really high. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's he was, um, uh, yeah, he was a cartoon character, man. Unfortunately, there was that incident with Pedro. Um, <laughs> that's Pedro never Martinez, like beat the crap out of him. Yeah, it's never good. But um, yeah. but Don he was Zimmer, very contrite you know. after that happened. You know, he knew like that he... he was being aggressive. He knew he right. couldn't yeah. just play. I'm a feeble old man, sort of card. He got really emotional yeah. during the press conference. It was. Yeah. It was. It was one of the more kind of honest baseball moments, right. you know. He was, yeah, yeah. He seemed yeah, he, he seemed was... embarrassed over what he did. Yeah. Well, everybody should have, right? Um, right. Based on, but yeah, it was. Well, nice. and I think it goes to show. I mean, it's just another example. He was always from the gut, whether it was yeah. like his coaching. Right. Or he wanted to stick up for his players, or whatever. He or if thought, he's in tears the next day at the press yeah. conference, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 It's always yeah. it was always from the gut with Don Zimmer. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, good choices there, guys. Um, my choice, uh, this was a pretty obvious one for me as, as well. Um, I mean, the only guy to bring my team a World Series in my lifetime, and actually a lot of people's lifetimes, um, he's not managing right now, and I think probably he's pretty toxic, and he probably never will manage again, <laughs> and that's Ozzie Guillen. Um, you know, uh, he obviously a, d- a pretty divisive figure around baseball, uh, but certainly an entertaining one nonetheless. Um, I'm going to read one quote here that I found. Um, this is Ozzy talking about Bart. And because not only was he, you know, he was obviously he could be abrasive. He sort of had that whole machismo thing sometimes, which got a little tiring. Um, but he would just say some really weird stuff, too. This is a quote from 2009 and he's talking about Bartolo Colon all right he says I worry about Colon because Colon was a big time Michael Jackson fan he might watch the TV and cry all day long maybe he's in LA at his funeral because I can't find him when he gets to Charlotte Oni which is Ozzy's son will call me and say he's there nobody knows how big of a Jackson fan Colon was I'm serious he might be depressed a little bit. So I guess this was when Bartolo Colon, I guess, was missing for a little while. Like the White Sox signed Colon back in 09, um, and I, he pitched a couple games. Um, you know, he was supposed to go start, but like nobody knew where he was. So Ozzy was equating that with him being a Michael Jackson fan when Michael Jackson died that summer. So anyway, um, so he's a weird dude, and um, he – like I said, you know, he was really, um, he was very entertaining and probably, you know, for the, you know, gosh, eight years, I think that he was in Chicago, 
you know, always a good soundbite, um, sometimes an offensive soundbite. Um, him and the back and forth between him and Jay Mariotti was pretty epic. Um, um, and also Ozzy's like lack of command over the English language made him kind of even more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he, he wouldn't call Jay Mariotti garbage. He would call him a garbage. He's <laughs> like, he, he's like, Jay Mariotti is a garbage. Right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah. And, um, it got a little bit old in Chicago near the end. Um, he, he left after 2011, joined the Marlins right away. But yeah, those last three years or so in Chicago got a little bit old. I mean, the team was obviously struggling a little bit, but um, he was kind of doing this, you know, like threatening to retire all the time, like during press conferences, threatening to quit. And so he did wear out his welcome um, after building up all that goodwill with winning the World Series. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he's he's memorable to me because I uh, just, you know, you like characters in baseball. Oh, yeah. Whether they, you know, they're imperfect, certainly, but they're still characters. And um, obviously the guy just has balls or he just doesn't even think about what he's saying. Because to manage in Miami and to say you love Fidel Castro, <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? What you're trying to do is get a free case of cigars delivered to the clubhouse door. I guess what you're doing. Yeah. So there's a um, better way to go about it. Right. Yeah. So, um, and you know, he just became toxic after that. Um, you know, it only that whole Miami thing where they brought in him and all those free agents that just turned out to be a disaster. So I was, I, in the, in the 87 tops, I don't know if you noticed, but he is like, Skinny, skinny. Oh, he's rail thin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never realized that about mm-hmm. him. He was a little guy, man. Yeah, yeah. He was like a little yeah. scrawny shortstop. Yeah. Now he's like kind of bloated, you know, but yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I never realized that. Yeah. He, he also said that during the Marlins, when he was managing the Marlins that one year, every road series, he said he was drunk. He said <laughs> afterwards. Oh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, it's weird because, no, it's not weird. He's toxic. Um, you know, you haven't heard his name mentioned for any jobs um, after that Marlins debacle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, if he wanted, if he were to come back, you know, it would have to be, I think, kind of starting out small and rebuilding his reputation, like go with a minor league gig or go with, you know, being a, a bench coach or something. Um, so I don't really know what his aspirations are at this point. I think he wants to get back in the game from what I gather. He like tweets, he tweets that he would manage again and things like that. <laughs> but, um, he, uh, you know, I think he's kind of toxic at this point. Oh yeah. So, so that's Ozzy is my choice. And then I'll segue into, um, managers of rock and roll. This one was a little tougher to pin down for me. Um, but the guy that I came up with, um, is, probably one of the more famous rock managers of the 1970s. Um, Malcolm McLaren to me is the quintessential rock and roll manager. He was a guy that knew how to create a spectacle. Um, you know, when, when the, uh, the sex pistols were on the boat for God save the queen, you know, he engineered all that. He knew how to really create buzz around a band that while I think the Sex Pistols are awesome, there really wasn't like a lot of talent there, you know. Like Sid no. Vicious, like yeah. <laughs> Sid Vicious, like didn't really even know how to play the bass when the Sex Pistols <laughs> started, you know. So, um, 
he was always like really upfront about how crass just the crass commercialism of his craft um which if somebody's upfront about it i can kind of respect him for it you know what i mean yeah. like if if they try to sneak around it and pretend like they have integrity he's just like no you know i'm just i'm in this to like it's the great rock and roll swindle baby like i'm in this to, to make as much money as i can um you know he owned a sex shop in london um and uh he uh you know he managed um he managed Adam Ant for a little while. He also was kind of – he wasn't a manager, but um, he was uh, – he kind of helped craft – like the New York Dolls sort of craft their style. Like uh-huh. he went to America in the early 70s. He met he met them, and he was kind of the one that told them to like, you know, glam it out as much as they can. Um, so he was important, you know, in, in really like three musical movements, you know, like glam, yeah. punk – and new wave you know he was he played a hand in in different artists for all those and he actually um one other little tidbit i found out um he offered to manage the red hot chili peppers like in the mid 80s like before they really took Mm -hmm. off like previous like um and uh they said no he wanted them to wear like all neon outfits and play really (laughs) stripped down music so they said no um, so he was a very image conscious yeah. guy. They met George Clinton and were like, that's the guy. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just a real character, you know. I mean, uh, he, uh, you know, just like, just, just British to the max, too, you know. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, he was, he, he, when, when we said rock and roll managers, um, it was the first guy that came to mind for me. So, yeah. Malcolm yeah. McLaren is my yeah. choice. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I mine was really easy because I I've always thought of him as the quintessential rock manager, and that's Peter Grant of yeah. Led Zeppelin, oh, yeah. and um, he was a hulking beast of a guy. He's like over six feet tall, over three hundred pounds, and so he was intimidating. And um, he's basically credited as being the first manager that actually got the bands paid what they were owed. Yeah. Like, it used to be basically a system of where the bands toured and toured and toured and made no money. Yeah. And that's actually how we got to start, was um, in 1968, the Yardbirds called him. And we're like, man, we're on the road constantly, yet, like, our bank account is basically empty. Yeah, and that was the case for a lot of bands back then. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he worked with them and got it to where they were becoming, you know, more well-paid, and then they dissolved. And from that... Led Zeppelin was born. And so he, he became the manager of Led Zeppelin on a gentleman's agreement, just a handshake. Mm. That's that's all Peter Grant that's and Led Zeppelin, that's all they ever had. There was never a written contract hmm. between them, always just a gentleman's agreement. Hmm. So he he's known for also being one of the first that he, he pushed everyone away. He was like, it's my job as manager to just make everybody leave the band alone yeah. so they can do what they do and, and at that time it was like you know the manager controlled the bands basically at that time and so it was pretty revolutionary for that you know he was like the band will do what they do just leave it up to the band they're the ones that are going to make they're the ones that are going to help all of us make money just let the band be the band yeah yeah give and them it, room and, to create that's 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 what a good manager does you know they give them you, yeah. you, you work you do what you need to do for them, and then you, you give them the room to create, you know? Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he also was 
then the manager for Bad Company as well. A lot of the Swan oh. Song artists. Mm-hmm. He uh, he helped found Swan Song Records along yeah. with Zeppelin. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I just always thought it, there's great stories if you go on the internet, and some of them are kind of X-rated. I sure. think he's, he's involved with the, the legendary shark story. Yeah, I don't right. know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, knows everybody knows that, that one, yeah. Yeah, so if, if you want some wild, crazy stories about Peter Grant, you can find them. We really, I don't know if we can talk about them here. <laughs> yeah, great seeing in Song Remains the same, too, with him. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> at, his, at his feistiest. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Well, and he was also, that was another thing he was first known for, was being adamantly against anything bootleg. Yeah. Like, right. if he saw someone recording a show out in the crowd, he would, like, pour water on their gear or, like, beat them up or you know what i mean he yeah the the scene is in song remains the same i think he's bitching about uh t-shirts t-shirt bootleg t-shirts yeah Yeah. someone's on bootleg t-shirts he's like i demand answers (laughs) good stuff man (laughs) yeah i i don arden was a guy who was who was pretty uh similar in some of his uh aggression um he uh uh, in his in his early days, there was um, uh, one of his uh, lesser known early bands. Um, they, uh, uh, they, they one one of the guys asked him about uh, you know why he was getting paid so little, and Arden just went ahead and like held him over a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, he was suit tonight before suit tonight. Oh, totally. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the first guy. There was another guy. Um, so he goes on, Arden goes on to, um, uh, to manage the small faces, uh, in the sixties, mid sixties. And, um, who he, he got their first single, uh, to, uh, top the charts, uh, through payola basically, um, uh, through chart fixing. So it wasn't even like payola. It was just straight up, um, fixing. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so, yeah, you know, in, in, in uh, he took the small faces places, uh, and, and, you know, they were a pretty significant band though. They were only making like 20 pounds a week. And, uh, so they wanted to see the royalty statements, uh, the small faces did. And he, uh, he countered by, uh, informing all of their parents that they were drug addicts. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he was quick to pull the trigger anytime he thought there was a little discontent. Um, of course, uh, uh, he was also uh, um, uh, the father of Sharon Osbourne. Um, he was a manager of, of Ozzy and Black Sabbath, and uh, Sharon began dating Ozzy and stole him away from her own father to manage yeah. him. Uh, yeah. And uh, in Ox- there, there was a weird story where the next time she visited him, uh, she was pregnant at the time, and um, he, Don Arden had uh, some pretty vicious dogs that attacked her, and she lost the child. Oh. Yeah, so it's wow. like, jeez, what the hell? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, There's a lot of love in that family. Yeah. Right. Oh, and they, they were pretty estranged for a while until um, I, there was a reunion on the Osbournes uh, back in the, in the early 2000s. Um, I'm sure... I'm sure they both saw the money making potential in that reunion. Um, but, uh, th- but there was another guy, um, uh, Robert Stigwood, uh, who was the manager of cream and Bee Gees. Yeah. Um, he like, he, even though he had never met the small faces, 
um, he for some reason he put it out there that they were dis they were discontent with um, uh, with Arden as their manager, which apparently they they probably were. Um, but he was throwing that out there because uh, Stigwood wanted to manage him, and uh, immediately Arden uh, and uh, four goons uh, went over to Stigwood's office and hung him off a fourth floor balcony. <laughs> <laughs> So, the dude didn't mess around. Um, he bought Howard Hughes's mansion as well. Oh, yeah. um, went on to mansion uh, ELO uh, as well. So uh, yeah, he got it move, done. Moved before ELO too, so he obviously had a relationship with Jeff Lynn. Yeah, right, yeah. right, exactly, exactly. And um, he died a few years ago, um, but uh, it sounded like they did reconcile. He reconciled with uh, Sharon a little bit, so. Uh, Sharon never good. managed Sabbath, right? She just managed just like, Ozzy. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So, it, 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 rock and roll managers are interesting because it's this industry where it's all about you know rebellion and against the man and like doing things however we want to do it and making it up yeah. along the way. But then you, it's like, well, we still need to make money somehow. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. the idea yeah. of the kind of person it takes to be a manager of a rock and roll band means you're going to have some serious characters in there in the early days. Now it's a bit more regulated and you can kind of, you know, even though it's the wild, wild west out there in some ways with, with uh, downloading and pirating that you don't quite get the characters anymore. But in the early days, it took a special type of person to be a rock and roll manager. Yeah. The, uh, one of the, I won't say who the artist was, but one of their former managers, and this is an artist I've worked with as a stagehand, and this is their current stage manager telling us they um, were at like a truck stop or a rest area. They've got, you know, a couple tour buses with the band and the crew and everything. And all of a sudden, like SWAT teams descend the buses and the manager, like the stage manager for the tour was like wanted in multiple states for like forgery and fraud and so so it still happens. There are still sketchy band managers out there. Good, good. That's 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 yeah, comforting right. to know. Reassuring. Rock and roll is still alive. Yeah, I guess the guy had like a briefcase full of drugs and stuff and like guns on him when they got on the bus. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff, boys. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, man, another, another, another fun episode. So, uh, I enjoyed it. So good times, good times, definitely. And, uh, make sure for those of you that are out there on social media, um, make sure you, uh, follow us on Twitter at rock like and shoe page, at rock and shoe. Yes. Like our Facebook page, just type in rock and roll Shinsu Chu on the Facebook, uh, in the search bar on Facebook and you'll find us there. And uh, we'll be giving away baseball cards and uh, having a lot of fun on 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 uh, on both of those sites. So please check us out. And, and more, more uh, show your cards episodes coming soon. More show we just your cards episodes are coming as well. Yeah. So um, looking forward to that. And uh, thanks for listening. And have a good night, everybody. Later. See ya.